0: Welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio, exploring the frontiers of spirituality, consciousness, the esoteric, and humanity's sacred relationship with a living earth. I'm your host, Nick Mather, and in this episode, I am joined by Luke Lafitte, author of Machine Intelligence in the Imaginal Realm. In a wide-ranging conversation, Luke and I discuss the archetypal machine man, overcoming the fear of eternity, resolving dualities. Neville Goddard and the American Dream. Also, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts, or subscribe to the YouTube channel if that is where you view this. Also, hit that like button and the notification bell. Your support is truly appreciated. Now, on to the episode. Luke Lafitte, JD, PhD, is a trial attorney, American history teacher, and co-founder of Dead White Zombies, an award-winning theater group in Dallas, Texas. Partner in a leading law firm in Dallas, he is the author of the three-volume series, Chronicles of a Curious Mind. He is also author of the forthcoming, Machine Intelligence and the Imaginal Realm. Luke, welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio.
1: Oh, so thankful. Yeah. So thankful. My, my first interview.
0: Oh, wonderful.
1: So, uh, I'm, I'm very thankful that uh, you got a hold of me and I'm on it yeah
0: well i'm very thankful too i'm very excited about this conversation uh, i've been playing questions in my mind <laughs> for the past week or so uh, and as i've told you uh, i've read uh, machine intelligence in the imaginable realm twice now uh, I, I think it's an amazing book and quite the accomplishment so uh, kudos and congratulations to you uh, and you know i read it twice for a couple of different reasons um, primarily it's because it lit a fire uh in the mind while I was reading it. And, you know, it made me want to consult several other works to engage with it, works that I'm familiar with that you don't necessarily bring in. You know, I was thinking, for example, of like Eric Davis and his book Technosis. And oh sure. Uh, uh you know, and you mentioned the, the work of Ray Kurzweil, uh, Dush, uh Douglas Rushkoff, Siberia, and a few others. Uh, And and I also think that it just deserves a close reading uh, and engagement. So
1: I think I even say in the book, you have to read it more than one time. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) But but I'm sure a lot of people say that in their books.
0: (laughs) I don't know. Uh, It it didn't bother me at all uh, to read it. I know that uh, there have been a few books of people that I've interviewed that I've had to read a couple of times. And I know one of them is like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Were you bored out of your mind? I'm like, no, oh. some books are, you know, a good book invites rereading, you know. Right. So so, um, so congratulations. I, well, thank, I, you.
1: thank you.
0: And I am I am also very appreciative of this opportunity to speak with you about it. So uh, I thought that we'd begin just a little bit uh, about you. Uh, The biography I read is short, but it seems like there's a lot there to unpack. So I was wondering, can you uh, say a little bit more about who you are? Uh, Introduce yourself to the audience.
1: (laughs) Sure, sure. Uh, Well, I'm a trial attorney at Trade, and uh, I've litigated more cases in in this century than I think anyone has ever litigated. I'm probably around 1,000 or over now. And um, they're personal injury cases, so they have anything to do with car wreck, uh, soft tissue injuries, bulges in the back, protrusions to brain damage. And uh, I've, I've, I've loved what I've done, but it's, it it takes a toll on one. It, it really does to have all that pressure all the time to have a, a human being's quality of life in your hands and, and talking to a jury for maybe only two or three days And telling them that whatever decision they make is going to affect this person for the rest of their life. And and that's difficult. That's the most difficult part of trying the case is uh, getting the jury to open up their mind to understand that the valuation they make upon this injury is going to last for the lifetime of that person. And I think I've done a pretty good, pretty damn good job of of getting it through their heads that human beings are worthy of compensation and their pain and suffering is worthy of compensation. And that we have to get over this idea that we're looking that we look at people like their numbers or commodities or robots. And that kind of feeds into the book that I wrote. Right, Right. Machine intelligence. And the the mechanical man is not per se an archetype that we want to become. The mechanical man is an archetype that we want to destroy. Hmm. So when I talk about going from the cowboy to the mechanical man, I'm not saying that we, we want to value the mechanical man. I'm saying that we need to recognize what the mechanical man is. And how to uh, how to differentiate between the spiritual man and the mechanical man?
0: Okay, yeah. And one of the questions I had for you was to go a little bit deeper in regards to what the mechanical man is. And uh, but before we get there, uh, I, I do wanted to ask you. Uh, one other thing about your bio is you identify as an american history teacher so you have a background in uh, american history uh, are you teaching at college or I,
1: correct correct i did i taught for oh from 2005 to 2011 at any any community college that i could get a hold of okay so um, on weekends and evenings, and then ar- around that time period, when I quit teaching, I got married to my wonderful wife, Amy, and she said, okay, you're teaching on weekends and evenings. Where are you going to be for me? And I said, okay, okay. I, 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 but it was, a, it was a, a, a love affair that I had with, with teaching. Hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I did the, the old, uh, 1301, 1302, you know, American history to reconstruction and reconstruction to present day. Mm-hmm. I didn't do anything beyond that, but yeah. I, 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 enjoyed it. Uh, I loved it. Uh, someday I'm sure when, uh, later on I'll get back into doing it and teaching it again, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, American history is one of my loves as many. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I like American history, too. I always have. And uh, my doctoral dissertation was grounded in American history. Um, and so uh, that's one of the reasons that I was also uh, very much looking forward to speaking with you, because I noticed that there was that kind of uh, connection there uh, with the history. So I imagine we'll get into a little bit of American history here. So I um, uh, and I also just wanted to say one thing. I looked up the website of the Dead White Zombies. Uh, and are you still active with them?
1: Oh, very active. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm uh, one of the founders with right. Thomas Riccio. He's the, the grand poopa of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but we are currently working on a, a new uh, new theatrical production called Green Jelly. Mm-hmm. And it should be, uh, of course, COVID has put it off for a while, but it should yeah. be out here in a couple couple of months
0: yeah yeah the clips i saw my immediate reaction was that it was all very kind of dionysian uh in the best kind of
1: ways oh and, and, and indeed kind of be free right yeah, yeah. Uh, let let whatever comes into your mind come in and resonate there and think about it and 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 see what it means to you mm-hmm. you know and, and no you know you're you're a fan of, of thoreau right mm-hmm. So let, let, let the symbol resonate with you right. and, and, and lead you in the direction that it, it leads you into.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it seems to me that's you kind of just described the approach that you take in the book as well.
1: Right, right. Exactly. Just, just allow these, um, these prophets and goddesses to, to show you which way, uh, which way they're going. And, and what they're studying and why they're studying it for, for their own well being, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's when I get into Grace Hopper. Why is she studying the Mark I? Why is she so intrigued by it? Well, because it's telling her that she has some internal problems as well. Mm-hmm. And that's where she invents the word bug. Mm-hmm. That's, where, that's where we get the word bugs and computers from Grace Hopper and Howard Aiken and Mark I. And uh, so she shows us that we're we're so much alike from our inventions Mm -hmm. and they're made, they're of course made in our image. And what does that tell us about everything else that we know? Right, right.
0: Well, let's get into the book a little bit. And, you know, for the audience, you know, I was trying to think of how to summarize the the, the book, uh, Machine Intelligence in the Imaginal Realm. And I don't think it can be boiled down to a single simple thesis. I mean, maybe, I don't know. Um, But I thought I'd run by you what I think you're doing in the book. And then you can correct me and uh, we can fill in the gaps. So on one level, and I think this is a very basic level, you're examining the history of machines in America. And your starting point is what the author Leo Marx called the machine in the garden.
1: Well, and, and let me, let me stop you right there. If yeah. I'm
0: yeah, for sure.
1: Because Leo Marx, of course, is a, a big influence of, of myself and the book. Mm-hmm. Um, the original title of, of, of the book was going to be the mechanical man in the garden. Oh, okay. Okay. The, the cybernetic ideal in America. Okay. And uh, you know we, we didn't like that title, so we went with the uh, machine intelligence in the imaginal realm. but but yes, it was it was going to be a part two of Leo Marx's The Machine in the Garden. Mm-hmm. What a, what a wonderful tale. I'm sure you can tell tell mm-hmm. your audience uh, more about the book than I can, uh, the Machine in the Garden. But then things started to change. Mm-hmm. And like you spoke of earlier, if you're going to allow scholarship to take you uh, where it wants to take you, then it 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 changes and it 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 vacillates and it becomes something totally different. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the book, you know, when you read uh, machine intelligence all the way through, you understand that it's very different than probably what you thought it was in the beginning.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so let's say just something about uh, the machine in the garden. And uh, it's been a long time since I've read it. Uh, So I'm probably rusty around the edges here too. But my understanding is that he was looking at America and here I'm using America to refer to the United States and the colonies before that. Um, But that it was always seen as this sort of, I don't know. It was like a new Jerusalem. Uh, It was a, the wilderness was what was so important. And the early attempts in the nation was the uh, manipulation of the land that that's what a garden is. And it's telling this story of the beginnings of industrialization within this garden. And, and I think that, that's where you pick up because it's this mechanized mythology that you're looking at. We'll get into this a little bit more of that machine in the garden and what the implications of it are. Uh, am I on track with uh, what Marx is oh, saying? From
1: oh, definitely. I mean, the, when I read that book, the light bulb went off, and and I thought to myself, well, wait a minute. He's talking about much more than, than just how industry or the industrial revolution has affected America. He's talking about how, how we go about harnessing natural powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's talking about what are natural powers that, that we're harnessing. Right. And 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 when we do harness them, what do we what do they do to us psychologically? Mm-hmm. All right. Right. Um, when the uh, we'll get into probably Norbert Wiener later on, but, but, but what, what do these harness powers tell us about ourselves?? Right. It, it's kind of like we take electricity for granted, right. But, but people before the advent of, of electricity, I mean they, they must have thought and they did think that it was uh, some mysterious power that just came out of nowhere, right right? Where, where did this power come from? and uh, the great thing that leo marx did is that uh, he he conceptualized everything in the framework of of the myth of this idealized landscape okay this idealized garden uh, or as as you profoundly just put this this new jerusalem or, or new eden that we can that we can do whatever we want and, and that's why I chose the American perspective mm-hmm. rather than the British perspective or, you know, an Eastern, Eastern world uh, perspective to look at this uh, technology and technogenesis in America. Right, right.
0: And well, we'll uh, again, we'll come back to this thing about uh, America, um, because one of the ways that I always think of this is that america has always been mythic and uh, i think that's a really rich place to dig into into all of this so to get back though to my sort of summary of what you're doing um you know your starting point is you know with what leo marx called the machine in the garden and by examining the historical the literary and scientific perspectives of the machine but you're doing this from a mythic framework. You are examining how our conception of the machine has evolved. And that evolution is also symbolic of the evolution of human consciousness.
1: Correct. Correct. And do you want me to answer that? (laughs) What I thought was that there mythology in the the concept that i have of mythology is that it answers the gaps that we have between Mm -hmm. cause and effect and and between the idea and the activation of the idea Mm -hmm. or the image and the activation of the the image into into something that is corporeal Mm -hmm. right and so I, i i thought well maybe if if i look at this technogenesis of American industrialization and technology in a mythic framework where where I I go through the Joseph Campbellian, you know, formula of the call of the departure of the initiation of the return. And remember, there's not just one return. There can be many returns because that's where we get into Nietzsche's eternal recurrence, because we keep on wanting to say no, 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 no. And we keep on coming back to the same thing over and over again. If I look at it in this perspective, what will I gain? And I gained a lot, mm-hmm. a whole lot from looking at it. Now, now, can this formula work for any subject matter? Maybe. I'm not I, I'm not <laughs> I'm not saying that I've I've created this new formula for something because Joseph Campbell, of course, you know, found it from. You know, from his uh, his studies and 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 whatnot, and the re- it, religious studies tell us the exact same thing about this voyage that we're all on, this mm-hmm. hero's journey. Uh, yeah. If you read it closely, but it, it it does, I think, give credence to the fact that that we we are very cursory in in how we view things, and and we go we don't dig into the gaps of of the magic that's going on behind our backs. Right. And that, that magic is the spirit of us. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's the spirit of God, the spirit of who we are. It, it It's you and me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's very nice. I, I like that a lot. You're also working and this is part of this symbolic interpretation. Part of this hero's journey is examining a whole series of dualities and you know there's the fictive and the real and it's the I, I don't know the best way of saying this maybe the friction or the tension between them is there's something it's that gap there's something in that gap between them right and you know so you have the fictive and the real um but there's also the uh idealistic and the pragmatic and the implicate and the explicate. It seems like one of the main things that you're also trying to do in the book is trying to resolve this tension of the duality of materialism and idealism.
1: Right, right, right. What what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to look at these dualities and figure out how, if we can, resolve them, right? Mm Right and uh, it, this goes back to american history we we've got the the agrarian and the industrial fighting it out right we've got the sophisticated and the non sophisticated and that even even comes up today in our politics and in our our dilemmas that we have we we talk about which direction we're going to what what is our as bill clinton said our bridge into the future
0: mm-hmm.
1: so the, these dualities <clears throat> create a a, a beautiful in the end, if we lean into them. If we really lean into them, what do I mean by lean into them? I mean, really study them, really look at the the gaps and what they're saying to us. Like, why is the Constitution a, a, a contradiction? Why are we allowing slavery and at the same time saying all men are created equal with the Declaration of Independence, right? I mean that, that in itself is a total contradiction. but is, is it not the paradox that comes from it, the beauty of it, right? Hmm. And And that's what I'm trying to, to really uh, to really dig into and lean into these contradictions, and have a uh, hermetic uh, resolution to them. Mm -hmm. And can we have a hermetic resolution to them? I think we can. And I think it it comes with agape. I don't Mm -hmm. think it's gonna come with anything other than this type of agape love where, okay, we're gonna be okay at looking at these things. We're going going to be okay with death. We're going to be okay with living for eternity. Hmm. Okay, we're going to be okay with that. Let's look at these dualities and figure out what they tell us as human beings and what they tell us about being human.
0: Yeah, and wasn't that one of the, uh, I don't know how to say this, the, um, I guess maybe the, one of the driving forces behind your writing this book uh, was this uh, a paraphobia. Uh, that you had mentioned, uh, the fear of the eternal.
1: Right, right. I've, I've always had, from the age of two or three, um, I remember going up to my mother and and coming home from church, right? What a what a perfect scenario. Here, a little child is coming home from church, hearing all of these things about heaven. You're going to go somewhere forever, and it's going to be perfect. And I would come home, and I, I would tell my mother, I'm like, well if we go somewhere forever it's going to be boring at some point yeah at some point we're going to run out of things to do and talk about and she's like well well you 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 don't know that you know it, it's going to be perfect and that kind of gets into the perfection of the machine mm. right because w- when we talk about the per- what does the perfection of the machine really mean is it going to do everything for us? and then what do we do? what 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 do we then talk about? when the, when the machines are doing everything for us, how do how do we converse? what what is there for us to do as human beings? Are we going to just play a harp on a cloud? Mm. And so that that put <laughs> I mean pardon the pun, but that put the fear of God in me mm. at that age and from that age on i i always had it in the back of it was always a terror and it terrorized me it really did mm. it 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 terrorized me into adulthood and in any time i felt like i was getting too too robotic or too mechanized i remember when i when i went to law school i felt like they they were <clears throat> they were they were teaching in such a way that people were turning into into legal robots mm-hmm. And so then i, I said well i'm going to go to grad school at night and I, I went to grad school at night in the liberal arts and you know started reading about history and philosophy and things like that I had had my undergrad degrees in philosophy but i, I needed more of that for the spirit. Mm-hmm it really was a rebel spirit. Mm -hmm. I was rebelling against what, what this institution of, of legalism was teaching me that I should be. It's roboticism.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, I feel that all the time now with higher education, uh, that there are limits to what I can teach and how one can teach and it seems to me that so much of our higher education system isn't about education, but it's about training. Right, you know? right.
1: You nailed it. You nailed it. And, and, and that's probably why you're doing what you're doing. It's
0: one of and, them, yes.
1: It, yeah, one of the reasons why you're doing what you're doing, because you you, you needed an outlet. Sure. To, to let yourself get out of that. Uh, it, 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 it's the, bl- I talk about the black iron prison, right? Yes, so yes. A black iron prison that we're all in. And uh, we're, we're, we're getting out of, right. We're right. getting out of,
0: yeah. We're, now, we're,
1: getting, we're getting out of by doing things like this.
0: Sure. Yeah. And it is very encouraging to me to see other people from academia kind of leaving academia or at least stepping outside of it on temporary basis and doing things like this and setting up shop, you know, in like YouTube and uh, various other um, social uh, networking and whatnot. And I think that's so vital and so important. Um, I think that we're at the beginning stages of a transformation of education in this country that administrators have no clue is happening right now
1: no clue and you you mentioned the key word right vital right vital and you know that goes to david f channels you know vital machine theory Mm -hmm. of of finally putting this to get this together that yes you can look at us as a machine but we're also something that was breathed into us by a spirit that we have very little idea about that is vital to our understanding of who we are, the vital machine.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I just want to go back very quickly to something that you were uh, just talking about in terms of the I, I, I paraphobia. Um One, I can relate very much. Uh, and for me, I think I said to you in an email, you know, my greatest fear has not been death, but it's been deathlessness.
1: That, that Yeah, that touched me yeah. because, because that's what I've been dealing with for 42 right. years of yeah. my life. Yes. And, and I
0: think that for me, it wasn't so much deathlessness, but it was an isolation. Um, and where it really hit me was when I was studying yoga philosophy, uh, because yoga philosophy is also very dualistic and you have Purusha, which is pure consciousness, and, and I think this fits in so beautifully with the this, work that you're doing.
1: It's incredible, incredible.
0: Uh, you know, so you have this pure consciousness and then you have Prakriti, which is nature. And it's out of that you get these evolutions of, you know, like uh, the intellect, buddhi, and um, uh, the ego, ahamkata, and mm-hmm. then mind, right? right? Right. And if I understand yoga philosophy correctly, the whole goal of it is to recognize that we are pure consciousness. And I was okay with that until I read an interpretation of that, which was that, well, it's not like there's just one big eternal consciousness, but it's all these individual bubbles of eternal consciousness. And when I read that, it terrified me because it was like, that means I am isolated forever.
1: It it means that you have to be an individual forever right right Right. that's the key and uh you know at the at the end of the book of course i mentioned neville goddard Mm -hmm. uh telling people how to get over that and um man it it, it's difficult to work through yeah it really is because what you have to do is that you, you you basically have to take the anxiety of the temporal and you have to cross it over with the anxiety of the eternal. And you have to go back and forth to neutralize both, mm-hmm. right? So, so let me give you an example. Um, <clears throat> so if, if I'm worried about a, a, a if, if I'm a student and I'm worried about tests tomorrow, right? Okay, well, I have to take that anxiety and I have to, to counter it with the anxiety of the fact that I'm going to be around a trillion more years and have many opportunities to take that test, that test again. Mm-hmm. Right. So both are anxieties, both are anxieties, but if, if you put them together and you cross them over, they kind of neutral neutralize each other so you can live. And, and that's what we're doing. I mean, we, I guess a trillion years ago, we had to figure this out and say, well, if we want to, uh, to have this wonderful brain that is an upside down tree and we want to uh, encounter other beings like our own image, then we have to do it this way.
0: Yeah. And I think that. And I may be totally wrong. Yeah. Right. Well, we all could. You know, I, <laughs> I, I, I am very cautious. I try never to make too many claims about what is, um, and, you know I, I i love these kinds of conversations but like with philosophy I always i always have a love-hate relationship with it um because often i get to the point of i'm just going to let the mystery be <laughs> and kind of go on with my life
1: and 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 yeah and that that was a a, a dilemma for me in writing the book at because at, at certain times i remember thinking well Am I solving something that should not be solved? Um, Am I discovering something that should just be left alone? And I'm kind of still at that point. You know, I I haven't resolved that in my head, Um, especially with uh, the Neville Goddard lectures at the end end of my book that I, I cite to I I still read those Neville Goddard lectures over and over again every day.
0: Yeah, let's uh, uh, talk about Neville Goddard since you've mentioned him. And honestly, I have uh, been reading him uh, recently in the past week or so. I don't know if it was your book that prompted it. Uh, I was familiar with Goddard. I had read Um, what's his most famous one Um, resurrection
1: is one it
0: wasn't resurrection it was uh, something is your destiny I think Um, anyway um, I I was familiar with him I had read him and I knew him from uh, the writings of Mitch Horowitz Uh, but since you've mentioned Goddard a few times uh, can you say something about who was he was and how?
1: To, let me give a plug for Mitch Horwitz here one simple oh, idea yeah, yeah
0: one simple happened? idea yeah yeah I re, I read the um, uh, the miracle club and I'm slowly going through the miracle habits right now um, I like that he's presenting this material in a very accessible way and I think that he and you both recognize that there's something very American about this, about these ideas that are being said, you know, you talk, I think the beginning, there's a lot of the transcendentalists. Right. And uh, I see Goddard as being in that lineage uh, of them.
1: And, oh, and, I'm, I'm grateful that you see that because I, I didn't think that many people would see that. Yeah. No, from, I see that. From the the transcendentalists, to the metaphysical club to goddard
0: yeah yeah it's um yeah yeah i i definitely see that it's there and um you wrote this in one of the footnotes uh, and i read all the footnotes by the way uh you you referred to it as a and i think you may have gotten this from mitch horowitz but you referred to it as american mysticism right right and i think that's absolutely correct so since we've been talking about Goddard and I always want to make sure that people who are listening know what the heck we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so can you say a few things about Goddard and the ideas and how they relate to uh, your book?
1: Yeah. Uh, Neville Goddard is a, a, a Christian mystic that came over here from Barbados, the islands. And uh, he He laid the foundations. If you've ever heard anything about manifesting or laws of assumption or the secret, it it basically all comes from Neville Goddard. And and the way that he, he treats it is he shows through biblical scripture that the Bible is every man and every woman, everyone born of a woman, their autobiography and that well i I can't put it any other way but every person is god Mm -hmm. every person is the 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 christ which is the imagination and the jesus part of the christ is the activation of the imagination so uh, god and the father are the the imagination activated the human human imagination activated by the power of, of the breath, the word. In the beginning was the word. And he goes into it in, in such succinct detail, but but relatable, uh, relatable to the point of, of that anyone, anyone from probably any country can read it and understand what he's talking about, and also understand the power behind the words and and, and the power behind the great I am that he's telling you. He, he's telling us our secret identity that we are the great I am. That we, and, and he does it with no hubris at all. Uh, he does it with, with such humility and sincerity that you really do get into his, his, his frame of mind and, and, and his heart. And that, that's what a lot of authors are unable to, <clears throat> to really put out there, is allowing you, Joseph Campbell, of course, did it, Carl Jung did it, but uh, many authors are unable to allow you to get into their brain, to get into their heart, because they're they are still hiding behind something. He's hiding behind nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Neville Goddard is, I, I would put him as the, you know, The most wonderful Christian mystic that I've ever read and I've read quite a few Julian of Norwich, of course, and and many others, but but for him to be able to be writing in the 1960s and 50s and 70s and to be going out and lecturing to people. And and telling them that it it doesn't matter that that Christ existed It, it, it doesn't matter whether anyone ever existed in the real frame of reference what matters is that the there are eternal states that we enter in and out of okay and, and then these eternal states are yes we can write them as figures we can write them as people you enter into a, a the eternal state of, of john the baptist it means that you're probably not gonna not gonna eat all the time or be gluttonous But you're going to go into another state if you want to. And the ultimate state for Neville Goddard was, of of course, the Christ consciousness. The Christ consciousness state, which means that it's pure agape and pure love to everyone. Uh, You you don't treat people like your brother or your sister. You treat them like your children. You love them like you would your children. That's the ultimate state that we're trying to get to.
0: right. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting and I kind of want to put this into the context of American history and the machine in the garden. But this idea of the biblical figures and the biblical text and reading it symbolically, you know, this is something that I address because, you know, this is my bread and butter. I teach religious history, right? Right on. Right and on. I I'm always trying, and it's, this is a tension for me, especially in the classroom, because I'm always trying to explain to students that all of these texts can be read symbolically. And in fact, most of them had been read and understood symbolically. It was the, the idea that all of these have to be taken literally is a product of industrialization in many ways
1: it oh you nailed it i mean you just nailed it right there it's the product of the machine right right it it, it's the product of of thinking that things have to have this Mm linearity to it and it it, they have it has to have this corporeal function to it for it to be real and the most important things are are not corporeal the most important things like love and feeling. And qualitativeness are much more important than quantitativeness.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. And it's it's tricky because, you know, I find myself in the classroom. So, for example, um, you know, Exodus and I have to tell you know, I tell students, I'm like, well, there's no evidence that the Exodus ever actually happened. It's not supported in archaeology. And the archaeology that we do have is, oh, my goodness, look, here's the legend of Sargon, which is identical to the Moses story. And so it's, but it doesn't matter.
1: It doesn't doesn't matter matter if it it, happens. Got it. Because the, the human imagination can manifest any archaeological sites it wants. Yeah. I mean, we, we can find the bones of, of Jesus Christ tomorrow, right? Because, because we manifested it. Mm-hmm. And, and people can say, okay, that we can go back and we can, we now have the bones of Christ and we can go back and we're showing the world and, and, and this and that. Or we're showing the world the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, we can manifest whatever we want because everything is human generated. Everything is from our minds, collectively and individually.
0: Yeah, and one of the themes that you go to, which speaks to all of this, is the ancient Gnostics, because they had that view. Uh, And Philip K. Dick, you mentioned him, and he's part of the book. He's also one of the you know there's gnosticism that runs throughout his work uh, and it's this idea that there's something not quite real here that we're trapped in you the the black iron prison right And right. we have to wake up to a greater reality
1: well and, and and that's the call of the book right that's the call of my book and that's the call that that I'm pretty sure Philip K. Dick was on board with as well. Mm-hmm. Remember, he, he had his friend, Bishop Pike. Mm-hmm. Bishop Pike is a, is a big figure in his exegesis, which is, you know, uh, <clears throat> academics compiled all of his notes and, and put together a book called The Exegesis of Philip K. Dick. And in it, he talks about uh, Bishop Pike trying to find out if Christ was real or not and uh, uh well we're going i'm going off on a tangent there but but, right. I, but, <laughs> but 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 i'll i'll come back and, and yes so the gnostics for philip k dick were a group of people that that got it right that that understood that there was a demiurge that we had created and demiurge meaning a very vengeful vengeful god but 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 always remember that this demiurge that philip k dick speaks of in in gnostic terms is you and me it's human created it's not something separate none none of what he talks about is separate and that's how the Gnostics got it right the Gnostics knew that there, there were there were two two worlds there was the implicate and the explicate of course David Baum comes in in the 20th century and and he explains it in in terms of quantum physics but they had understood that way back then, you know, one, what what 70 to 130 um, AD. Mm-hmm. But, but yes, and 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 they understood that that archetypes were important. And they they understood that the imagination was God. And they they understood that the the power behind the imagination is creativity was what they would call Jesus Christ, the savior of the imagination. Right.
0: And I I think the imagination is so crucially important. And I wanted to note something that you wrote in the book regarding this, and it relates to the title, the imaginal realm. And I think this is really important for the listeners to understand is that the imaginal the imaginal, excuse me. Uh, You write that it's a, a world that is created by the imagination, but it is ontologically no less real than physical reality. And you also make clear to point out that the imaginal is antithetical to the imaginary. And I think that that's crucially important. And one of the points I wanted to bring up is I often complain, and I think this gets into the Gnostics and the Demiurge and the Archons of the Demiurge, mm. but I often feel like, personally, my imagination has been colonized. That there has been, and I see it in other people, that our, the, the imagination has been colonized, and what that does is it robs us of our
1: power. Well, what it does is it, it, it robs you of harnessing other powers. Yeah, okay. It, it, it may not rob you of the power that you're programmed to at that, that specific time period in your life, mm-hmm. but it does rob you. And, and that's another point of, of, of both Leo Marx's book and my own, mm-hmm. um, is that it robs you of harnessing other powers that you may not even see. Right. Uh, that that you, you may not even be knowledgeable, knowledgeable of. But 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 that begs the question, well, then how do you know how, how how do you how do you harness these other powers that are out there that we don't know about? Well, you get in touch with yourself and you do a Carl Jung individuation of yourself mm-hmm. and you humble yourself. And you take you know, you you take every day as a great blessing in disguise and a great venture and a great hero's journey.
0: Yeah. Very nice. And this is what the mechanical man is showing us, right?
1: Correct. 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 Yes.
0: I wanted to ask you real quick, kind of going back to wrap up something that you had been talking about previously. Uh, And what clicked is when uh, you mentioned Grace uh, Grace Hopper, and I like in the book that you uh, refer to her as the awakened Sophia. And that, of course, has Gnostic tones to it as well. Uh, but really, I was, trying, I was thinking of this uh, uh, apiraphobia and this idea of eternity and the fear of eternity. And I wanted to ask you, have you ever seen the television show The Good Place? no. Okay, I I don't want to spoil it for you, but I would highly recommend that you watch it um, because that's actually one of the things that is addressed is um, the what do you do? What exactly does does eternal life entail? Are you going to get completely bored out of your mind? Right. Um, because I always say that to my students. You know, it's like everyone. It's like you know, this is there's a difference between fear of death and this idea of eternal life. It's like
1: I, I, I can't. I, I mean, I can believe because it's all about synchronicities. But what a, what a great coincidence to have between us. Yeah. That that, that resonated with you.
0: Right yeah yeah for sure but the 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 other reason i wanted to recommend the show is that one of the main characters janet is in her words not a girl um she's like a not a robot either Uh, not entirely mechanical but she's goddess-like in many ways
1: like like sophia
0: Yeah. And one of the things that comes up is that, uh, again, I don't want to ruin it for you or for anyone who hasn't watched it, but eventually people are given the option of, it's like, okay, I've had enough. And they can go through this sort of like portal and just reunite with being and all individual selfhood is just gone they go back into the ocean of being as it were.
1: well. And, and and maybe I needed to talk further about that with my, uh, my fiction books, Chronicles of a Curious Mind. Okay. Uh, be, because I at, at, at in the third uh, volume of my Chronicles of a, a Curious Mind, there's an actual war going on between those that want to just be done mm. and those that want to go on forever. Wow.
0: Yeah. Uh, but uh what goes on here is that one of the characters asked janet uh you know know, it's like does this mean i'm going to be completely obliterated and janet's response was well not really because you're always going to live in my memory
1: right right and
0: she's got the memory of all beings in her apparently well well,
1: do you remember that the philip k dick story of frank pool right the one you were talking the, about yeah the electric ant right? right and um and he's kind of like well when if when we fade away we can always have the ability to be turned back on
0: right right <clears throat> yeah and i think that it was reading that section in the book is what flicked the light on the good place and janet Oh, so I I wanted to ask you if you had seen it because I I think it's
1: I'm going to check that out for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think it's relevant to what you're writing about. Um, So uh, let's talk about America a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I asked you the question in the email, why America? And you had a really quick response. Well, it's what I know, uh, (laughs) which is an honest and and I can relate to that. Uh, I I did the same thing in my doctoral uh, work. I just focused on the U.S. because it's what I know. But let me ask you again, why America?
1: Well, I, I kind of hit on it before, but I'll go into more detail right yeah, now. please, Because, because it, it, it is a, a world of contradictions. It, it, it's a new land where, it, you know, anyone can become an American. Hmm. Uh, you can be an immigrant. You come over here. Anyone can, can become who we are. Now, what does that mean? Well, <clears throat> I think what it means is that you 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 settle into the fact that that we are walking contradictions that create beautiful paradoxes. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are beautiful paradoxes that have an underlying truth of whatever truth we want to be. There's that freedom involved there. And there's also also the, the freedom involved in in the idea of, of manifesting. I mean, Robert Frost said that that the founding fathers uh, did not invent America. They believed it into existence. Mm. They believed it into it. They didn't think that there was a future to it, but they believed it into existence. And that's what all of our entrepreneurs and all of our inventors have been doing since day one. They come over here to this new land where their minds can be freed, and then they invent whatever they want with the objects and the, the, the images that they have around them. And that was why America, the the techno history and genesis that that I speak of in The Mechanical Man could only have been planted in the garden of America. Right. And
0: based on that, it also seems that someone like Neville Goddard could only arise in America.
1: What a great comment. You're right. I mean, I I can't add any more to that. only neville god yeah only america neville goddard what 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 a great chemical reaction for them to come together and him to come over here and see that he can he can think whatever he wants into existence because the country was thought into existence right
0: and you know it also seems to me that there's just this mythic aspect to america anyway um, I think I said to you, you know, America has always been mythic and, you know, there's the American dream and that's something that you just expressed and it runs through the book. Um, and, you know, I liked that you said that we have to start seeing the American dream, not in terms of riches, but in terms of ideas. Right. Right. And I think th- I agree with that.
1: So oh, completely. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that, that's where we're at right now, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the American dream has, has become something uh, totally different than, than what it should mean. Now, right. not, not maybe what it would. It may have meant that the American dream maybe was meant to be riches and material wealth and, and greed and, and things of that nature. Maybe that was the starting point. But the end point of it is not that. The end point of it is these ideals of manifesting love with each other, mm-hmm. right? Having this perfect union, perfect union with, with the states and with other people, looking at everyone as the, the Christ figure of the imagination, um, the imagination create uh, having the ability to, to create whatever he or she wants, mm-hmm. Um, bringing these dualities together in a hermetic way where the dualities cease to exist altogether. Instead, we have, have, and I'm not talking about a a utopia-like existence. I'm talking about being aware, conscious, conscious of, 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 of who we are and that we only have each other. We only have each other. Um, if you're left alone, then then you're left in that abysmal state of what Thoreau called that depressive sterility of life, mm-hmm. where you where you have have nothing but yourself. And so we have each other.
0: Yeah. E pluribus unum.
1: Yeah. Well, the, that's it, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and have you ever read? Um, I've got it behind me. I can grab it, but. Um, the person who actually came up with the term American dream. No, no. Oh, uh, if you don't mind, let me grab it real quick. I want I'd like to share it with you and Please the audience. Do. Actually, I always keep it near, uh, it's the Epic of America by James Treslow Adams. Well, and
1: let me get this down. Okay.
0: Uh, yeah. The Epic of America by James Treslow Adams. This was, published right on the eve of the uh well actually right after the great depression Uh, i think it was originally published in 1931 got it and it has some issues with it um in terms of it's a product of its time Mm -hmm. so there is um you know american exceptionalism and uh, some negative statements about Native Americans and things like that.
1: Well, and, and, and let me preface about my book that that I, I tried as hard as I could to stay away from derogatory right, right. terms like that. Uh, but uh, yeah, if anyone takes any of, of, of the readings from my book the wrong way, I apologize.
0: Yeah, no, I don't think that uh, that happened in your book at all. Um, uh, but uh, I'll read two very quick passages here. Uh, One is the American dream. Uh, He says that dream of a land in which life should be better and richer and fuller for every man with opportunity for each, according to his ability or achievement. And I think that that is what most people identify as the American dream. And he says, this is not a dream of motor cars and high wages, merely but a dream of a social order in which each man and each woman shall be able to attain to the fullest stature of which they are innately capable and be recognized by others for what they are, regardless of the fortuitous circumstances of birth or position. And I always point out to this section, we cannot become a great democracy by giving ourselves up as individuals to selfishness, physical comfort, and cheap amusements. The very foundation of the American dream of a better and richer life for all is that all, in varying degrees, shall be capable of wanting to share in it. It can never be wrought into reality by cheap people or by keeping up with the Joneses. It all depends on what is made of each. Lincoln was not great because he was born in a log cabin, but because he got out of it. That is because he rose above the poverty, ignorance, lack of ambition, shiftlessness of character, contentment with mean things, and low aims, which kept so many thousands in the huts where they were born. And it says, if we are to make the dream come true, we must all work together.
1: Wow. We have to we have to recognize the mechanical man so we can defeat it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I always like that because he recognizes the importance. It's not just about the individual; it's about the whole.
1: The pluribus unum.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. and that's why I wanted to share it with you.
1: I love it. I, I love it. Out of many, one.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and
1: and the call is out there. Mm-hmm. The, the the call has been out there. Right. Uh, you know, whether we will heed the call, who knows? I, I, I'm certain that a lot of people are heeding the call and and, and trying their, their damnedest and their best. I, um, I've tried with this 15 year project to give my story of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, I think you have. <clears throat> yeah. And, you know, I wanted to ask because one of the things that you had mentioned, is you know you're you're following a history and you do get us to the 1960s and the 70s and at one point you said that we need to finish what was started in
1: the 1960s
0: and i think if, if i understand correctly what you're getting at is that sort of transformation of consciousness
1: it, it, well exactly yeah i mean that that that's why the the book is a, a consciousness study mm-hmm. because there was something going on and I, and I, I didn't get into it in detail because I didn't, I, I still don't know what it is or what it was in the 1960s that was going on. I wasn't around then, Right. Right. But there was something that occurred back then that I think was probably snuffed out with the death of Martin Luther King Jr. and Bobby mm-hmm. Kennedy and of course, John F. Kennedy earlier than that. Um, but th- there, there was a seed planted, a seed planted, mm-hmm. a seed planted that, that back in that time period in the 1960s that, that we've ignored for, I think, too long. Mm-hmm. And I think just like the, what you just read about it, it, it is perfect in what we've kind of fallen back upon. Hmm. It's okay, okay we, we, we know what it is. We know what we have to do, but we don't want to really do it. Hmm. It, it It's too difficult. We're the richest nation in in the world, you know but we, we we don't want to do it, but then we always come back to the fact that we can do it, and we will we hmm. will, yeah, we will. I,
0: I think that um and this is getting a little bit into some of the research that I've done, and I wanted to run it by you anyway, uh, because I think there is a connection here. When I wrote my master's thesis, what I focused on was how the computer revolution and the new age movement, both largely emerged out of the counterculture of the 60s and
1: the 70s. Oh, you've you've got to get that to me. I've got to read that.
0: Well, it's not very good. Um, it, but... <laughs> it, it,
1: it may not be very good to you, but it may yeah, be very yeah. good to me. Uh,
0: but uh, um, the, the argument I did is, I actually used Marshall McLuhan, and I kept thinking about Marshall McLuhan when I was reading your book
1: because. Art. It's yeah. In my book. Marshall Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: Because uh, he was the sort of the theoretical background for me Mm
1: -hmm.
0: where, you know, he defines a media as some kind of extension. And so this would apply to any kind of technology. So like, you know, a hammer is the extension of the hand, right. right, Or the extension of the arm. And there is always a a change of consciousness with new media. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I was writing this the, uh, I think I graduated in 2003. Uh, so it was still fairly early on in the online, you know, where the internet had been made available to everybody. Right. And I looked at the early communities and how they had the early online communities and how they had emerged out of the counterculture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you had things like the well, Uh, the whole earth electronic link which was founded by stewart brand who had done the whole earth catalog uh, back in the 70s oh yeah yeah um, and one of the arguments i made was that there is a this new media is going to affect a change of consciousness because at the time you know and this is before there was a lot of social media but it was like okay well I can read this article and there are all these hyperlinks and it can take me down the rabbit hole, but there's this sense of all at once-ness, that emerges out of this. And I said, you know, this new media landscape is going to change our consciousness. We just don't know exactly how. And at the time I was very optimistic. Now, looking back shoot, 20 years now, wow. Um, I think that my optimism is a bit misplaced.
1: Well, let me ask you: what were you ready? What were you optimistic about?
0: I thought that it would create a more caring community. I thought that it would lift humanity up out of ignorance. I think
1: that, but, but, but we're talking about that right now. Right, isn't, I know. Isn't that, yeah. isn't that beautiful Yeah, in, yeah. in and of, of itself?
0: Yeah, and, 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 and I don't think that it's quite finished. I think that we've hit some stumbling blocks and maybe that's the way I uh, should uh, kind of think about it. Because on one hand, I thought that the, the early online communities, and we can say the same thing with social media in general, is that there's a celebration of the individual Mm -hmm. which is deeply american Mm -hmm. but at the same time that connects us together
1: right right right
0: and but i think that what we failed to do in some aspects is come to terms with the shadow side of all of this and one of the things that runs through my mind often is you know the Classic work that investigated the new age movement uh that came out, I think, in like 1979, 1980, was Marilyn Ferguson's uh, The Aquarian Conspiracy. Oh, yeah. And now we have conspiracy theories just running amok. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but to make this connection to that with the internet. But it's not like it's that, well, the information is just out there and people are unable to evaluate their sources properly. It seems to be maybe the word I want to use is a bug in the system or a feature of the system, Um, that this is just maybe it's one of the trials that the hero has to undergo on this journey. Boom. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you just you answered your question right there. Yeah, you know, I I always think of it, now that we have YouTube, yeah. think of back when they had the Gutenberg printing press, right? Yeah, and and how how to compare that that to YouTube and all the information out there, and uh, yeah, it, it it is it's coming at us fast and furious, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is. But if you if you have the right heart, like like I, I, I really do feel, you know, talking to you, you have the right heart. You can differentiate. You can differentiate what what is worthy and what is worthless. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and, and what and what do you do after that? After that, you take it from there and you share it with the world. You begin a podcast. Right, right.
0: Well, and like you said, you know, it's you know, there's a return, but there's not just one return. We keep returning over and over and over, you know. Um, and I think there's going to be a lot more trials and tribulations, you know, that we have to go through on our journeys here. Um,
1: well, well, many returns, but one call.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah. Many like
1: returns, that. but one call. That's yeah. what you always have to keep in mind. We we always know what the call is. I mean, the, sure. the call the call is agape love. The call is unconditional love to each other, right? Uh, The call is building a new future of curiosity and imagination. Mm -hmm. That's the call. Uh, All all, all of the returns are just all of us overthinking things.
0: The devil is the
1: devil is in the details.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I like that. And um, I agree with that uh, quite a bit. Uh, The way that plays out, I think, in your book, is you look at sort of the... uh, the fuels if you will of the mechanical man i like Uh, that i like that
1: the the the, yeah the harness the harnessing right yeah yeah what what are are we harnessing
0: yeah yeah right so you know you start like with steam and then electricity and then atomic then i think it goes to mine and you end with agape
1: i end with uh, capturing love right capturing love Right. I mean, the these other things were so ephemeral before they were captured, right? Electricity, nuclear fission power, um, steam. And then when they were captured and you could actually see what they were doing to people and to the environment, then you're like, oh, now I get it. Now, now, now I get why why love can actually. Or, or loving each other could actually cure environmental problems, huh? Mm-hmm. Okay, because we'll build these things that cure it. Duh! All right,
0: <laughs> right. And and it that's the cure, isn't it, to the apiraphobia, the agape?
1: That, that, that's the cure to it. That's the cure to the apiraphobia. That's the cure to, to the eternity. That, that, that once you realize what agape really means... And uh, you know what Saul and then Paul said of of agape in biblical text, then you can you can come to terms with not only uh, not only eternity but death itself, right? Because mm-hmm. you, you 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 have you have no worries about that anymore, no mm-hmm. worries about that anymore. I mean, I, I I I could I could sit here and talk to you for a trillion more hours and be happy with it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you? Are you hopeful that more and more people will be waking up to Agape, to recognizing the mechanical man and entering the imaginal realm, uh, or maybe going back and forth uh, between them to uh, manifest the, to become the manifestors, to be, to recognize the divinity within that you talk about?
1: I think there's one trajectory that we're heading in and it's recognizing that divinity within recognizing that Gnostic spark. And I, 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 I understand a lot of people are turned off by, uh, you know, when you talk about Gnosticism and Gnostic meanings and things of that nature, but um, there's a lot of valuable information in there that, that if you're a Christian and and you're turned off by Gnosticism, I guarantee that it, it, it will Add to your knowledge of biblical text. It won't take away from anything,
0: right? Well, and there are Gnostic strands in the text that we have anyway. I right. mean, the idea that um, what is within you will save you um, is not just in the Gnostic text. You know, it appears in some of the other Gospels as
1: well. Well, it's like Elaine Pagels. You know, she she said that these these aren't just things uh, the these statements in the gospel of thomas and the gnostic texts are not just things for you to believe in. right right they're, they're actual they're actual practical things for you to live your life they're they're, they're psychological precepts that help mm-hmm. you
0: right Right. <clears throat> yeah and personally i find belief one of the problems that we have to go through um, that I think belief causes way much more damage than good anymore. Because I think belief stops curiosity. It stops inquiry.
1: Well, that that's the problem that we're having right now with people that that believe that they're experts in something, right? Right Right. I mean their their expertise probably ended 10 or 15 years before they started, promulgating their their dictum to other people right Mm -hmm. so what happened in that interim what happened in the gaps they ignored or or they pushed away or they didn't peer review and that's where we're at right now
0: yeah i wanted to ask (laughs) um you, you 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 cover so much in the book and there are so many you know like literary aspects that you bring in uh, yeah, I was very happy to see the discussion of the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz. And you're looking at the book, not the film. Um, and you look at uh, uh, the um, uh, Gort from uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, uh, which has always been one of my favorite movies. Uh, Gort, by the way, is in Los Angeles. When I first moved here, I was really excited because I would drive by this store and they have Gort in the window. And it's the oh, actual it. Gort from. From i movie. love it i love um, it uh, and so and yeah you, you know robbie the robot from forbidden planet and you look at actual people you know richard Feynman, grace hopper steve jobs you know whatnot um uh, but i i wanted to talk uh to you about star wars okay because uh, i think you're wearing your jedi robe uh,
1: I, I am i've got jabba the huts yeah i ride, ride his uh yacht behind me yeah
0: yeah. So, so how does Star Wars fit into this story of the mechanical man? Uh, because I believe that you said that specifically the scene of the cave and the empire strikes back and Dagobah, you refer to that as the apogee of the mechanical man mythos.
1: Right, 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 right. What, what you go into the cave with is, uh, what you go in with and that that can either kill you or save you and so when luke skywalker goes in there with his weapons right i mean that's what he's going to imagine he's going to imagine a fight Mm -hmm. you know if if he would have gone into that cave with pure agape love for his father or even beyond that for himself for himself because we're all fighting ourselves Mm -hmm. Uh, let's get that correct here um we're, we're all fighting our higher selves here and, and our, our, our lower selves. We're trying to create a balance between the two. And when he cuts off the head of his father, Anakin, uh, Darth Vader, and sees his own face in there, uh, I, I remember I was three or four years old when I saw that, in, and it, it, it correlated with everything I had been thinking of with eternity, and with roboticism at that age. And it, it carried me all the way through until I wrote this book. Mm. And I, I, I that, that Dagobah cave scene, i parallel it to, to Plato's cave. Right. right. Of course, with the, the forms and I, the, the ideals. And uh, where you go and where you move, your movements, like Neville Goddard says, where you move, What you go with, idea-wise, is going to affect everything. What you have in your head, the conversations you have in your head, is going to affect everything on the outside. The inside is the outside. What is within is without. Right. And that cave scene did it for me. The, the, The cave scene in Dagobah. And, you know, Yoda tells Luke when when he leave, leaves, <clears throat> Luke says, well, I, I can't believe that. You know, when when Yoda lifts up his X-wing, right? And, right? and I can't believe that. And Yoda says, that is why you failed. Right. That is why you failed. You, yeah. You, 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 you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe that you're I am. Right. That you're it. That yeah. you're it. And I, I, and I know, you know, in, in, in older times, I would be burned at the stake for this book coming out. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, maybe, uh, maybe I will at some point, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but every, everyone, <clears throat> everyone is so important and they are, everyone is the great I am mm-hmm. because uh, uh, the only thing that we can say is I am.
0: Right. And, you know, that's what it means to be a Jedi, right? To recognize that.
1: You have, yeah, yeah. It, it, it means that you are it. Mm-hmm. You are it. And you, you, you have a duty to say, I am. And that's your only duty. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how easy is that? To go around saying, I am. Right. And then have, uh, you know, people are going to throw stones at you. And, and stones, like Neville Goddard says, are, are merely facts and reason. Okay. And in, in this world, our, it's the imagination. What we're trying to do is we're trying to tell people the imagination is what, what creates things, not, not facts and reason,
0: mm-hmm. and,
1: which is a contradiction to, to everything right. that everyone pretty much believes. Yeah,
0: Yeah, well, I think that the reclaiming of the imagination is the great trial that we have to undergo right now.
1: Oh, I love that. I love that. Can you repeat that for your viewers? If I
0: can remember that the reclamation of the imagination is the great trial that we have to undergo right now.
1: That's it. That's it. You nailed it. You want to end on that?
0: Yeah, we can end on that. But uh, let me see if I had any other questions for you. I probably do, but we can leave it there. Um, uh, Let me do ask a, a couple of final questions uh, what's next for you? Uh, are you going to, uh, this, you said this book took 15 years, or are you going to work on another one? Uh, what's next?
1: Nope, nope, no, no more writing. <laughs> um, um, I'll be back in trial here in a couple of weeks. Okay. And then I have, uh, interviews for the book for right. the next three or four months. And, uh, no, that, 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 uh, it was my one and done. Okay.
0: All right. Uh, where can people go to find out more about you?
1: Um, uh, just email me at Dr. at gmail.com. So all lowercase d-r-l-u-c-a-s-l-a-f is in Frank i-t-t-e at gmail.com. Just email me.
0: Okay, I'll, I'll put that in the show notes and uh, video description on YouTube if that's okay. Um, I'll also put links to the book I don't believe the book is out quite yet. It comes out February 8th, I believe. So just a couple of weeks. Um, So I'll put the link on the, uh, for Inner Traditions, the publisher. And I usually uh, include a link for bookshop.org rather than Amazon. Um, I'm sure it's going to be available on Amazon, but that's. Yeah,
1: it's available already on, on all the Barnes and Noble, Amazon, things of that nature. Okay. But I, I greatly appreciate this interview, my friend.
0: Yeah, well, thank you so much. I really oh, appreciated
1: wonderful. speaking with you too. So
0: um, thank you and you have an awesome day. And I do want to encourage everyone to read the book. I think it's a, uh, a really good, necessary, deep read.
1: Oh, well, I thank you very much. God bless you.
0: All right. Thank you. And that's a wrap on episode 27 of Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you so much for listening or watching if you are part of my YouTube audience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to give it a positive rating on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. It only takes a second and your five-star ratings really do help. If you have a minute to spare, consider posting a positive review and please consider subscribing. For those viewing on YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel make sure you hit that notification bell so you will be informed when I upload new content. I've been releasing episodes weekly and would like to continue doing so. I'm also working on creating additional video content for the YouTube channel, including book reviews, educational videos on topics concerning spirituality, the history of religion, and the religious response to the climate crisis. But that extra content takes a lot of time and work. If you would like to support me in creating free incredible material on YouTube and continuing with this podcast, please consider making a one-time donation via PayPal. You can find a link for that in the video description or show notes. Your support makes this podcast possible. I'm Nick Mather, and you've been listening to Rebel Spirit Radio. Until next time, may you be in peace, may you flourish in all possible ways, and may you continue to nurture your Rebel Spirit.